They're generated by huge, reputable companies. They cost a fortune. They're one of the transfer pricing industry's biggest scams. Generic transfer pricing reports are red flags to tax authorities. Big, bright signals that your company has something to hide. So why are big consulting firms still using them? I'm Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show. Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast, and today we'll be talking about those one-size-fits-all reports and other useless things. Well, that's not true. We're just going to talk about generic reports and why they are useless. It's going to be a great show. David Buckovac. Cross-Border Solutions Dynamic Chief Revenue Officer is here to discuss these reports, a topic he absolutely loves. And Nicole Schudo, Cross-Border Solutions Director of Transfer Pricing and Professional Services, is also here to talk about generic reports. And later, she'll take on a rapid round of questions in what we want to know. The incredibly charming Mimi Song, Chief Economist at Cross-Border Solutions, is back at the mic, and she's going to be interrogating, I mean interviewing, David and Nicole about this riveting subject. Of course, Fiona, our transfer pricing AI angel and the anchor of this show, will jump in and make sure our facts check out, well, mostly my facts, and to help recall those hard-to-remember numbers, stats, and regulations. Hi, Fiona. Hello, everyone. I'm most excited about this show, Matt. Generic transfer pricing reports really get my knickers in a twist. One more quick announcement. You can earn CPE credits from listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're planting two CPE code words in this podcast. Send both code words, that's two words, to The Fiona Show, all one word, at crossbordersolutions.io.io, not .com, and we'll email you your certificate. It's that easy. Now, before we get started, let's take a quick look at transfer pricing in the news. Let's start with Peru. Cramming to file your CBC report on time? Good news. Peru has extended the deadline for fiscal years 2017 to 2018. The deadline for submission is, okay, stay with me, the last day of the month following the month and date that the tax authorities publish on the website. Yep, we're going to translate that to English. Say, for instance, authorities publish July 20th. You have until the end of August to submit your documentation. The only question left is... Can they make this more complicated? Canadians may be known for their friendly charm, but when it comes to transfer pricing, the country has no sense of humor. For the past few years, the country has been stepping up its transfer pricing audits, and the 2019 federal budget, just released last month, calls attention to transfer pricing once again. The budget includes two new transfer pricing provisions. The first says the transfer pricing rules in the Income Tax Act, or the ITA, get priority over the other provisions in the ITA. The second proposal involves making sure that the word transaction has the same meaning for transfer pricing, it's an arrangement or an event, as it does for reassessment rules. So the government has more opportunity for adjustments. And of course, the budget also reinforced Canada's mad love for the OECD and the BEPS initiative. In fact, the government is working to let the multilateral instrument make BEPS prevention a solidified part of Canadian law. And you thought Canada was cracking down before. India and the U.S. also have news. According to India's tax authorities, the countries have agreed to exchange CBC reports. The agreement 
pertains to years on or after January 1st, 2016. Also, according to the agreement, Indian subsidiaries of MNEs in the U.S. no longer have to file CBC reports with the IRS. What? Less documentation? Now that really is news. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. Today we have David Buckovac, Cross-Border Solutions President, Founder, and CRO. And let me fill you in on David. He's had just about every career success imaginable. He launched a thriving business twice. He's grown countless sales teams and revenue streams. He's created global business alliances, established lucrative offices abroad, created and managed virtual teams, and even helped facilitate a corporate acquisition. But before you hate him just for being so annoyingly successful, let me tell you, he's also incredibly nice and, believe it or not, a very down-to-earth guy. Welcome, David. Thank you for being with us today. And who better to talk about transfer pricing reports than someone who sees them every day. That's where Nicole Shudo comes in, of course. Nicole has worked in-house in the transfer pricing departments at multinational companies and now at Cross-Border Solutions. She advises some of the company's biggest clients, reviews heaps of transfer pricing reports, and manages the whole New York-based professional services team. And today, she's going to tell you why yesterday's transfer pricing reports just can't cut it anymore. Thank you so much for being here, Nicole. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. So on that note, I'm going to pass it over to you, Mimi. Thank you, Matt. So as usual, before we get started, Nicole, we just want to learn a little bit more about you. Um, so let's start with how did you get into transfer pricing? So I have sort of a unique uh, perspective on transfer pricing. I started out working in finance as a business unit controller, and one day a transfer pricing journal came across my desk. <laughs> and the rest is sort of history. I ended up working on the industry side, working in-house in a finance company doing transfer pricing, and eventually came over to the consulting side. So which one do you actually like better? Do you like being on the industry side or on the consulting side? I, I definitely enjoy the consulting side more. We get to interact with more kinds of clients and more sites, types of businesses. So I, I think there's a lot more to be learned there. Right. And what about, what are some of the challenges that you see multinationals facing today versus, you know, when you first started transfer pricing? Oh, well, uh, you know, 
the different governments are always looking to collect more money, right, bottom line. And so the regulations are getting harder and harder in the individual countries. It's becoming harder for our clients to meet the needs of the individual countries. And uh, one of the things we're going to talk about today and, and what, what we always saw in the past was the generic reports. And so um, there's a big change from making generic reports to really hyper-localized uh, reports. So that's a great place to start, actually, right? Let's, let's start with defining. What does it mean when you say generic report? So generic reports are the reports that were historically produced. And these reports would be sort of a one-size-fits-all report that is meant to be given to all the different tax authorities, but it's meant to cover um, you know, transfer pricing where it's not localized to any specific country's requirements. It's sort of uh, a report that would have certain standard components that were generally accepted by all regions. But as regulations has changed, these sort of generally accepted features are no longer allowed in different regions. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's a great point you bring up, right? Clearly, the compliance environment has changed. Things have evolved. So what are tax authorities looking for now? Tax authorities are really interested in localization of the reports. Um, different countries have different preferences as to what they want to see in the reports. And they're more aggressive about transfer pricing in general. They're, they've sort of, ever since the BEPS initiative, have kind of laid out for the, the companies in the industry what it is that they're going to be looking for. And, and because of that, they're actually looking at the reports more than they had in the past. And so local documentation is super important. Local comparables are important. Um, and, and there's all sorts of additional features that these reports need to have um, that are specific to certain jurisdictions. And that, that is the hardest thing to come by in reports when we see uh, localization. So, so given the current new guidelines, regulations, can a generic report actually protect a company from being audited? Bottom line, no, it cannot. So that's, that's the big problem here, is that um, multinationals think, oh, let me you know, produce a standard approach to my transfer pricing, and I'm going to make all my reports look the same. And, and they, they think of that as consistency. But consistency is really maybe using one provider to provide the reports, but making sure that those reports sort of speak the different languages of the jurisdictions while having you know, the common theme and common message with regard to the transaction. Generic reports are a huge red flag for audits. And, and frankly, in today's environment, they're pretty much useless. Oh, Nicole, generic reports aren't totally useless. I've used them to make the most adorable paperback helmets. As in the transfer pricing world, they are for little protection, but they're so much fun to wear. When you work with new clients and you review their existing documentation, what are the kinds of things that you actually notice? Well, the first thing that we notice, right, is that this documentation is usually prepared by one of the big reputable tax firms, if not law firms. Um, but we review it to see where the client might be vulnerable to penalties or adjustments based on uh, what's in the report in its current state. And there are certain things that we'll see time and time again. Um, we often see reports prepared in accordance with OECD guidelines, but not local mandates. Uh, we'll see reports prepared for planning purposes that don't meet the compliance requirements of uh, any jurisdiction or let alone the specific jurisdiction that the report was intended for. 
we'll see some reports that are just not contemporaneous. They may be used, uh, use one report to cover several years. Uh, we see incomplete organizational charts and, and all sorts of missing information, really. We, we also want to welcome David Bukovac to the conversation here. I mean, David is not only a founder of Cross-Border Solutions, but he was probably the first economist with Cross-Border Solutions the first time around. So how did you get into transfer pricing to begin with, David? Just a little bit about your background. Oh, my goodness. Do you, you want the long version or the short version? <laughs> well, this is only a 45-minute podcast, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, then I'll give you the long version. <laughs> Well, hey, you know, so uh, I've always been, uh, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania where there's nothing to do, right? So, and, and I always wanted to travel the world. So uh, I did some traveling and I got bitten by the, um, the quote unquote international bug. And so uh, when I went to school, I wanted to do as much as I could internationally. And so I went to a, a graduate program at Brandeis called you know, for International Economics and Finance. And uh, lo and behold, and transfer pricing kind of picked me, right? Because mm -hmm. transfer pricing is all about multinational companies who trade internationally, and it's all about economics and finance. And so that's how I sort of fell into transfer pricing. You know, there's a lot of people I feel like that fell into transfer pricing. Not a lot of people grow up thinking that they want to be a transfer pricing economist. But given that, we, we're talking about the current transfer pricing landscape in you know, how generic reports don't work anymore. And in fact, you know, David, when you work with a new client and you go over their existing documentation, what are the kinds of things that you notice or what are the potential gaps in the reports that you see? The biggest gaps in the reports that I see are that they're incomplete. My experience is that transfer pricing that's done by a big four firm or any consultant tends to be expensive because accounting firms throw bodies at this to do it. And so the more time it takes, the more expensive the reports are. And so they have to find ways to cut corners. They end up cutting things out of the reports that really should be there, but a lot of firms figure, well, you know, what's really important is the number at the end of the day. So we'll get the calculation correct, but, you know, everything else will suffer a little bit. And, you know, we get where they're coming from there, but the problem with that is if you hand that to a tax authority when they open the cover, they're looking for those specific things that show that you've paid attention to things that are happening in that country and the, the laws that are, uh, apply there. And when those things are missing, you get a huge red flag. And even if the numbers are perfectly correct, the tax authority could say, hey, you know what? I don't like your report and take issue with it. And just really quickly, everyone, I want to interject here with our first CPE word, and that word is ersatz. Again, ersatz, and that's... Uh, also one of my favorite SAT words. Anyway, back to you, Mimi. And, and Nicole, you know, back to you a little bit. What are some of those specific requirements that countries are looking for now? So countries are looking for local benchmarks. They're looking for local documentation that answers specific questions that certain jurisdictions are looking for. They like to calculate those benchmarks differently um, based on the different jurisdiction. And, and there's just, there's, there's many components. One example we see time and time again is that a client will get a study done by one of these big firms for compliance purposes and planning purposes, but for planning purposes, a benchmark memo does not rise to the level of jurisdictional requirements for documentation. 
So just because you have a benchmark and it was prepared by one of these firms, there are many elements missing to that report that's uh, required. Um, just a quick question, a little bit more for the folks outside of the discipline of transfer pricing that I'm thinking of. But given the approach that these big accounting firms are taking with what you're describing and the ever intensifying global regulatory environment, Nicole, why are we still seeing such inaccurate reporting? Well, Matt, the answer, it's really simple. It's because it costs a fortune to do it the right way. Uh, using traditional firms, it costs a fortune. You're, you're working with an hourly billing model. And the fact of the matter is, after BEPS, having a generic report is the only cost-effective way to get it done. But the truth is, it really doesn't cover you. There is no protection. It's not really um, ensuring you any audit safety as far as coverage goes. A tax authority has zero interest in a generic report. And so although you've gone through all these hoops to create a report, the tax authority is gonna just throw out that report and look at it the way that they wanna look at it. But even generic reports aren't cheap, and you might agree with that given your background in putting together these reports for multinationals and even cutting corners, it takes, it, the whole thing still takes a very long time. So let's talk about the OECD and the BEPS Action 13 package of measures that they released in November 2015. BEPS stands for Base Erosion Profit Sharing, but maybe we can get a more effective definition explainer from Fiona of what the plan is and its impact on the transfer pricing industry. Fiona, can you tell us about the BEPS Action Plan? I'd be delighted. BEPS Action 13 is the OECD's transfer pricing documentation recommendation. It suggests a three-tiered approach, the master file, the local file, and the CBC report for tax years beginning after January 1, 2016. And that all wasn't that long ago. Uh, Nicole, how do you think the BEPS action plan impacts generic reports? It kills them. It renders them completely useless. They weren't all that acceptable before, but now with so many countries differentiating their regulations, you really can't use those sort of generic reports at all. You must have reports that cover the rules and regulations that are espoused by the local countries themselves. Every single country has something different that they like about the report, whether it's the formatting of the report, the methodology of the report, the benchmarks of the report, a value chain analysis that needs to be put into place. I, I mean, the list really goes on. Each country is very specific. And if you're not complying with those requirements, you're leaving yourself far more open to adjustments than you were before. Now, if you have hyper-localized documentation tailored to the rules or regulations of that jurisdiction, you are far less likely to incur an adjustment than the other 25 reports that are sitting on the examiner's desk that have regional or generic OECD documentation. Wow, and, and that's, that's just crazy, you know, given the, it, it just increases the risk of audit tenfold, I feel like. So, David, you probably hear this all the time, too, where companies say, but this country uh, accepts OECD guidelines. And, and is that the case that in certain countries, the OECD guidelines are, are acceptable or mandated into law? Well, sometimes individual countries adopt the OECD guidelines and, and accept them, make them law, or make the, the, the same kind of analysis um, applicable in their country. Uh, some that come to mind, um, a few, there are a few, Austria, France, Luxembourg, South Africa, 
there are other countries that take guidelines, take the guidelines and add their own local stipulations. So they'll base it on the OECD and then just tweak them a little bit. And then there are other countries that toss them completely and create their own mandates. Uh, and, uh, you know, those those are a little tougher, right? Like like Brazil? Like Brazil, <laughs> like Brazil, yeah. the U.S., right? Yeah. China. Um, at least 43 very active transfer pricing countries have either added local stipulations or tossed them and created their own unique laws. So let's ask Fiona because, you know, clearly she's our artificial intelligence engine here. Fiona, can you give us some examples of countries whose regulations differ from the OECD guidelines? Of course, I can. Let's start with India. The country requires the three-tiered approach recommended by the OECD, however the Indian tax authorities have added their own requirements as well. First off, the master file is required for MNEs with consolidated revenues of more than 5 billion Indian rupee. That's $77 million US dollars. The OECD's threshold is $800 million, so you can see a staggering difference. And that's just one threshold difference. India has others. India also requires a separate form with the master file 3CF for a single constituent entity and form 3C for multiples. The tax authorities also mandate specific functional, asset, and risk, FAR, details noted in documentation. This requirement alone means a huge investment of time and paperwork. And if that weren't enough, taxpayers must file contemporaneously. Wow, Fiona, you, you really are amazing. <laughs> That's what I keep telling everyone. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. India has also increased the number of transfer pricing audits by 300% in the past three years. And if you fail to submit the correct information to the Indian tax authorities, uh, you're practically begging for an audit. So, Fiona, can you tell us about another country with its own requirements? Certainly. Italy comes to mind. The local file and master file aren't required, but they are strongly recommended for penalty protection. If you submit the master and local files, they must be in a specific format in terms of chapters and paragraphs and subparagraphs. The structure is mandatory. Also, worth noting, documentation must be submitted in Italian. Now, you're certainly not going to get that from a generic file. Not a chance. So, David, what other countries have differing requirements than the OECD recommends? Uh, other countries, well, uh, for sure, Australia, the U.S., Brazil, as you mentioned earlier, uh, China, Thailand, Germany, France, Mexico, Malaysia, uh, all have different requirements uh, than, than what the OECD recommends. 
I mean, China mandates different requirements than Mexico, Mexico different requirements from Germany, Germany different than Italy, and so on. So really, to be audit-proof and comply with the local tax authorities, not the OECD, that's the law. So, you know, Nicole works with a lot of clients, and so, Nicole, can you think about a specific example where we, you started working with a client and they, you were surprised to see how vulnerable they actually were, given what they gave you, like their generic reports, and, and when you actually started to work on it, what did you uncover? Sure. So we had a client who uh, submitted a Canadian report, and it was not localized. It was uh, centered around North America. It was more of an OECD generic style report. And they came to us because they had to pay, you know, to get it localized to the Canadian specific requirements. Um, Canada is very specific that they, you know, look at a certain kind of benchmark range and um, they have very specific documentation about what they want to see in their reports. And the same client actually um, had a Denmark report. And in Denmark, you know, they had the same sort of issue. They submitted a local generic report, and that was thrown out by the Danish tax authority. Denmark, again, also has very specific requirements. They look at a five-year range, which is really pretty uncommon for most countries. And, you know, that was an issue for them. So they came to us to, to do it the right way. Right. And actually, I think uh, in, in one of our earlier news updates, we had learned how Denmark actually applies a penalty regardless of whether or not there's an adjustment if you don't have documentation. It's wow. it's actually um, somewhere around the equivalent to 35,000 U.S. dollars. So it's pretty steep and significant. So generic reports are clearly leaving multinationals especially vulnerable right now. Nicole, can you give us some of the statistics related to audit staff? Absolutely. So in the UK in 2017, they collected $1.6 billion in adjustments and added 150 auditors to staff. Also in 2017, Canada collected $7 billion in adjustments and added 100 additional auditors to SAF. That same year, Poland issued 500 transfer pricing audits, which was an increase from 134 in 2016. I, I actually read a recent article in TP Week, and um, Kim Boylan, the head of the global transfer pricing practice at White & Case, with a law firm, she was quoted as saying, you have to rethink your documentation for every deal in case you get audited, right? So you have to keep an audit-ready file on every deal you do now. David, clearly the audit environment has changed. What are the ramifications of a potential transfer pricing adjustment? Well, you know, clearly it hurts your bottom line. I mean, that goes right to operating income. Uh, comes right out of operating income, and it, it hurts your brand too. It hurts your brand, you know, no matter what aspect you're looking at, but especially amongst the the, the tax authorities. Now you're kind of looked at in, in a suspicious way, and you know, under BEPS with all of the information sharing, hey, you know, you're going to get known as the the company to hit for an adjustment. Right, and there's a lot of articles out there right now, sort of villainizing companies that are that are taking advantage of tax arbitrage situations, companies like Amazon or Starbucks, right? So, you know, in for example, with Starbucks in, in 2012, they made headlines, and so you know, Starbucks is, is clearly a good example. Um, if you remember, back in 2012, Starbucks made headlines not for new takes on mocha lattes, but because of the huge protests and boycotts and basically 
the general animosity the company received in the UK when customers were learning that Starbucks actually paid very little taxes despite having hundreds of stores in the country. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in that case, they didn't even do anything illegal. Exactly. And and you have all sorts of unique local regulations on a country by country basis with different thresholds and documentation requirements, you know, different types of information, local comparable requirements, deadlines. It's actually quite a headache. Yeah, local documentation is more work. There's no question. I mean, if you do it right, though, there are upsides of doing the documentation. I mean, one of the things that, that it's really good for is it, it really is the best place to explain your business. Uh, you know, I've worked with clients in the past that uh, have undertaken transfer pricing uh, projects not only for the documentation, but because they really wanted to have a really good functional definition of their business and provide a, a place for the whole organization to learn about it. Uh, it's, it's also it's the best case, it's the best, best place to build a case uh, that you're you're practicing business fairly, and you know if you prepare the paperwork inadequately, you're missing a huge opportunity to defend your transactions. If you have insufficient documentation like generic reports, it's as we specified or as we've mentioned, it's a huge red flag for tax authorities. Yeah. So we we talk about insufficient information, right? So, Nicole, what what exactly does David mean by insufficient information in a report? Sure. So there's, a, there's many different ways in which a report can be insufficient, but the, the number one is that a generic report uh, hits just about all of those ways. So some of these things are local comparables can be missing, the benchmarks can be calculated wrong. We've seen reports that don't list transaction-specific comparables when they've been requested. We've seen reports that omit functional detailed analysis. Reports uh, have come in with tested parties from too broad a range. There's numerous inconsistencies across the reports. Um, certain jurisdictions like, like things a certain way, and, and these things can be things like weighted averages calculated a certain way, ranges calculated a certain way, including a certain number of years worth of data, um, the Excel calculated interquartile versus the IRS intercalculated quartile. Uh, we've seen reports that miss uh, information about the corporate group. That's a really common one. All of this, or even just one piece of it, will actually qualify the report as insufficient. Documentation also has to be consistent, and I think that's, that's why I think a lot of our clients will get into a case where at one point or another they may have prepared a local or a generic report because it's sort of like a copy-paste of that report to all the different locations. But what we like to do is write the reports so that they are localized to each and every jurisdiction. But we don't forget about that sharing of information that comes with BEPS. So although these reports are localized to two different jurisdictions, they speak to the same story. Should those auditors or examiners ever share those documentations? Yeah, and that's that's really important, right, for mitigating exposure to potential risk of audits and error adjustments. So can you give us some specifics? What are some of the local regulations that you actually might be seeing as, as insufficient or incomplete in a, in a documentation? Sure. Um, a few examples that come to mind of what we've seen recently. We saw a Canadian report missing Canada's requirement on assumptions, strategies, and policies, um, if any of that, that influenced the documentation of the transfer prices. 
For Singapore, we had a report that was missing a required discussion of the group's business model, supply chain of products and services, and the financial statements. Uh, we often see reports that were prepared in accordance with uh, Section 482 regulations, but the transfer pricing contemporaneous requirements outlined in 6662 uh, are missing. Yeah, well, those are the 10 principal documents versus 482, which actually outlines the methods to be applied, right? And that's so right. That's, that's, that's where that differentiation comes from. It's actually really fascinating because when it comes to, there was a situation for Canada where um, one of the clients sent us their existing study and they actually they did they did it in house. Mm -hmm. And what's really amazing about that is they pulled the section of the regulations and they basically answered each of those questions with one line answers. And you know, normally transfer pricing reports are are on average how many pages, Nicole? Oh, many, many hundreds. <laughs> this was a one page document. Yeah. And and the reason that it was a you know it just being by virtue of being a one page document doesn't mean that it was insufficient documentation. The reason it was insufficient, though, is any tax regulations, it's like a treasure hunt. Because the regulations could say you need components one, two, three, four, five. And then when you dig into each of the components for component two, you have to go to another section of the regulations to get the practical application. And then within that, there are like 10 additional components. So I think that's what was lacking in that situation. So to your point, you know, we always see a lot of components that are missing. You know, I think it's worth mentioning that it's, it's, it's not always a bad idea to do documentation in-house. You just need to know what goes in the report and you need the tools to prepare it. And so, you know, we'll often see people who say, I have a good view of my business and I can prepare this documentation. But what's missing is they don't know specifically what the report is requiring. And if we can just take a brief moment, I just want to interject with our second CPE word. That second CPE word is degradation. Again, the second CPE word is degradation. Thank you. And back to Mimi. So clearly, we've noticed these errors right off the bat. We've noticed these these challenges um, and the differences and the nuances on a case-by-case -case basis. The real question is, how long will it take for the tax authorities to start keying in on these on these errors in the report? Um, so you know, and and asking for that additional level of information. So how do you know your transfer pricing reports contain the necessary information required by the local countries, Fiona? Well, assuming you have nothing else to do, you can devote all of your time to staying on top of changing regulations, deadlines, requirements, and spend your days researching and updating documents. That's what I do. Yeah, well, and that's not going to happen. I mean, you definitely you need a more realistic approach, right? And one of the best ways to do it is, is enlisting technology. To, uh, to do the job for you, or at least facilitate doing the job, right? Our AI over the Fiona platform really allows you to produce efficient, customized, local transfer pricing reports. So they're hyper-localized uh, and comply with each country's individual regulations. It, it is a fraction of the time and cost uh, to do it with technology than to do it a traditional way with uh, consultants. So now that we're talking about AI, Fiona, are you ready to start your stuff? Like you have to ask. Fiona, tell me about the documentation requirements for Germany. Happy to help. 
Of course, Germany follows the OECD guidelines. You know, a master file, a local file, and a country-by-country -country report. However, as you might expect, Germany has a few pesky additions. The German tax authorities want your report to include an executive summary of the intercompany contracts, essential intangibles owned and used by the taxpayer, and the names of company employees who have decision-making power over business relationships. And if that weren't enough, they also want a description of the value chain and the taxpayer's contributions to it. Aren't you glad you're not the one who has to read through all of that? Fiona, tell me about the economic analysis requirements in Belgium. My pleasure. In Belgium, pan-European comparables are acceptable, so you can stray outside of Belgium a bit. However, the tax authorities do want a single-year analysis and weighted Excel interquartile range when it comes to comparables. Thanks, Fiona. You know, the secret to transfer pricing documentation really comes down to two things, organization and obviously better information. The transfer pricing technology that we offer uh, allows you to bring transfer pricing in-house. So goodbye generic reports, uh, goodbye pricey consultants, you can do everything in-house and generate completely compliant reports uh, in every jurisdiction for every type of transaction everywhere around the world for every one of your legal entities. Uh, and you can save money in the process and you know you're presenting tax authorities with the information that is legally required that they want to see in the format they want to see it. And you can display real information based on your individual situations. It's, I love how the Fiona platform actually shows which regulations impact you because it's one thing to have a whole report that tells you what all the country requirements are, but it's a completely different thing to see it customized based on your facts and circumstances. And then the ability to produce reports you know, that are fully compliant in a matter of hours versus days and weeks. Um, and, and having it all centrally located is, is super beneficial. I couldn't agree with you more, Mimi. I, I think gone are the days of waiting months for your consultant to get you a report. Um, transfer pricing is, is an efficient do-it-yourself job these days. If you use this sort of platform, it allows you to prepare better comparable searches, better economic analysis, local regulations. The results are more accurate because our technology can sort through more information than you or I ever could or would want to. Yeah, it's a kind of a paradigm shift, though, right? Because, you know, the one-click com search and Fiona's ability to do that better than we can, it's, it, it all of a sudden creates so much efficiencies. I, I don't even know what to do with all my spare time, right, David? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have a lot of spare time when you're using Fiona. Yeah, that's true. Now, so what do multinationals need to do with their generic reports, or what can they do with those now? I mean, basically, they paid a lot of money. What, what are some of the options, David? What do you think? Well, you know, paper airplanes are fun. <laughs> you can learn some origami. You know, your kids can use it for scrap paper. Uh, there's there's lots of stuff you can do. You know, you you could you could wallpaper your walls with. Yeah, <laughs> well, a nice doorstop. A, a nice doorstop. Door Actually, to that point, Nicole. You know, when when we when we were the first cross border solutions, I love the story. By the way, David, this is Don's story. When we were at the first cross border solutions, and Don was trying to sell our first customer, which was Pepsi. He basically produced boxes of reports for them and said, here, take, you know, here are all your transfer pricing studies. If you like them, keep them. If you don't, use them as a doorstop. <laughs> so.
A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. And thank you so much for those great questions, Mimi, David, and Nicole. Thank you so much for being here. But you can't leave yet, at least not Nicole. I'm very, very sorry. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show, what we want to know now. Here's how it works. We ask five rapid-fire questions, and Nicole, you answer them. Are you ready? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. How do you handle your shit hits the fans moments? Oh, my goodness. The easiest question first, huh? Uh, Well, you know, uh, one thing about transfer pricing professionals is that we are all very creative. Uh, Tax as a profession gets a a bad rep for being very stuffy, but in transfer pricing, we're very creative. So we often get, um, you know, problems that we need to create a solution for. So, you know, just like everybody else, I evaluate the uh, options at hand and, and then go with, the right answer, hopefully. <laughs> and what are the most difficult management challenges you face today? Uh, as a transfer pricing manager, I think the hardest challenge is making sure that all the changes and regulations are communicated throughout the whole organization. Um, you know, it's one thing that we have all these great platforms that sort of know all that stuff for us. But we want to, you know, teach our younger level transfer pricing professionals what they need to know about the regs and why certain things are important and why they've changed over time. And so um, keeping up with that is a challenge because they, it changes very often. And what mistakes do you see multinational companies making over and over again? How much time do you have, Matt? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much what we've been talking about this whole hour is these generic reports um, and, and lack of appropriate information. I, I think the biggest one is we see a lot of regionalized comparables. Um, and and that's, the, that's sort of like the low-hanging fruit in a report, getting the comparables correct. Uh, that we see wrong all the time. And what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started your career? Hmm, that's a tough one. Um, You know, I I would say that uh, things change. As Mimi kind of alluded to, a lot of people sort of end up in transfer pricing by default. And, uh, you know, truth be told, this is probably not the sort of profession most people dream about as a kid. But, um, you know, you just have to go with the flow and find out what works for you. If you would have told me 15 years ago that I'll be working in transfer pricing, you know, I would have thought, what is that, number one? And number two, I I doubt it. But here I am, and I I really enjoy it. And you just, you have to, you know, find your own path. 
For sure. And what would you say to your daughter if she told you she wanted to go into transfer pricing? Total geeky, honest answer. I would think it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and that just about wraps our discussion. Thank you so much for being with us, Nicole and David. If you have any questions about transfer pricing, please post them to our Facebook page. That's The Fiona Show XBS. And we'll answer them in our next episode. And if you want to know more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get the lowdown on transfer pricing every week. This podcast is engineered and hosted by yours truly, Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer and script writer. Until next time, toss your generic reports in the trash, burn them in a fire, just whatever you do, don't send them to any tax authorities.